Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today, I just want to say thank you to Novartis for being a sponsor of FACTS Roundtable Podcast. Today's guest was not sponsored by Novartis or compensated in any way to participate in this specific podcast. Often, managing the health of family members falls upon one partner, parent, or caregiver. But what happens when a partner dismisses the severity and management of food allergies? We're sitting down with Elisa Word, also known as Ms. Word, a food allergy advocate, founder of A Word and Company. She is also an EQ assessor, executive coach, and consultant, in addition to being a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, to discuss how to approach this situation while avoiding arguments or heated discussions. Welcome, Elisa, to Facts Roundtable Podcast. We are absolutely delighted and thrilled to have you here today. Thanks so much, Carolina. I'm really happy to join you, and I can't wait to get into the conversation. This is going to be a great conversation. I've seen you present before, and I've seen the room packed when you present. This is going to be phenomenal. But before we get started, can you share your background with listeners? You wear many different hats. And also, can you share how you joined the food allergy community and why you became an advocate? Absolutely. I am a certified emotional intelligence practitioner and assessor. So what that means is basically I can administer psychometric B level assessments to help people really understand the concept of emotional intelligence and how it relates to their own success outcomes. In addition to that, I am a speaker, a writer, but a diversity professional as well. And as far as the community is concerned, it all kind of started the day that I had this beautiful little girl who had some health issues and I really didn't understand what was happening. And neither did anybody in my circle because this was something different for us. So I started out doing uh, allergy safety trainings in childcare programs and ended up being certified with that particular state to be able to give them hours towards their annual hours and then realized that the families themselves needed more than just that. So I started working in the EI space and also understanding the diverse needs of people even within the community because we don't all eat, look, and live the same. Thank you so much. I have to say, just personally, I'm very selfishly happy you are in our community. I mean, sorry you're in our community because of food allergies in your world, but just thrilled you're here with us. Let's move on. Relationships can be rewarding and sometimes challenging, but what happens when your partner or fellow caregiver is not on the same page with how you manage your child's food allergies? That can be really difficult to navigate. We all know we weren't brought up in the same house with our partners, right? And with that, our families of origin have different ways of coping and navigating 
things, whether they're cultural shifts, relationship shifts, or things even with healthcare. So when that happens and you find out you're not on the same page with them when it comes to it, the first thing that happens is you actually go into a grieving process because what you thought was going to happen and what is happening are two different things. And so that begins to create these barriers and you start to banging your heads against the wall with one another. But with adequate communication, compassion, and empathy, you can make some shifts in that space, but it does take work to do that. That is fascinating. So you just mentioned that we go into this grieving process. Does that happen too when your child's diagnosed? Oh, absolutely. People think of grief as an end of life situation. And that's just not even the thing. We grieve a lot throughout our entire lives. That's simply the process of missing something that is no more, something that is different, something that the expectation of what we thought it was going to be was so huge. And then there's this big shift that happens and our mind has to let go of that. And in that processing, we go into a process of grieving that. And the same thing with your children. For many of us, our family dynamic is built around events that include food. And that's how we connect. That's how we make sure aunties, this is great, or uncles, this is great. And you look forward to that during the holidays or different times in your life. And when you can't have that cultural experience in your own culture, it can be difficult because you now start to have this sadness and you don't know how you're going to navigate or deal with this or even process the situation yourself because what you were comfortable with, you're now uncomfortable with. And it can really create that same feeling that you have when you're grieving. What happens, you start this grieving process. So how do you process that? How do you get help with that? Or what do you do with that? Well, I think it's, again, the same as as much of the other things that we go through. When you go through grieving under other circumstances, at some point, you've got to be able to find what your new normal is. You've got to be able to find that. And when they say this cliched statement, time heals all wounds, I don't know that time heals all wounds, but time helps us to be able to have the opportunity to cope with the wounds that we have. So when we go through this process, it's really about time. Another part of that to help you get through that faster is beginning to educate yourself and then finding a circle that is supportive and sympathetic and empathetic to what your needs are and what this newness is in your life because other people just might not understand what you're going through. And that was the case for me. So I had to expand my circle. And when they say blood doesn't make you family, right? My family became people in the food allergic community because they understood what I was going through, including the grief process and then the recovery of that so that it now became empowering to me. Amazing. Excellent information. All very new for me and I'm sure new for some of our listeners. So now, what dynamics are at play when your partner or fellow caregiver dismisses the food allergy protocols that you have in place? How do you sort out whether the behavior is really about your child's food allergy or if the person is just using the situation to push back at you personally? In a relationship situation, if my husband's maybe annoyed with me over something, is he pushing back on me because he's really annoyed over a different situation or is he pushing back on me because he maybe is in disagreement with these protocols? I almost feel like you're taking a book out of my personal life <laughs> with this question. I, you know, wow, how did you know? I think many of us have been in that position 
And I think in the beginning, you're not necessarily regulated because you're very emotional about what's going on because you're dealing with, again, that almost grief type of mindset. And so you may not even be in a place where you're thinking things through all the way. So you have this and then all of a sudden you get this pushback and it's really easy to take that personal. It's very easy to say, this is about me. Even if in some respect, it is about them pushing back against you, the underlying issue in all of it is that they need different coping skills. They need different coping skills to help them to navigate the fear, perhaps because of a new diagnosis or the uncertainty, or they need coping skills in a way that are going to help them to separate their individual issues with you from the healthcare situation you're navigating with your child. So it's really about understanding the root cause of it all is about helping this person to be able to utilize their coping skills in a different way. And that can be hard when you're also grappling with finding a new set of coping skills for this shift in your life. Hindsight's twenty twenty, So you think, wow, maybe I could have handled these situations differently in my own life. And maybe other people could have too. But you look at it and think, well, would we really? Because we just didn't have the knowledge. And when you have more knowledge, what do they say? When you know better, you do better. I like to say when you know better, you can do better. It's up to you to embrace the better. That statement is absolutely perfect. So here's another question for you. If a listener is dealing with being dismissed, what are the first steps they need to take to address the situation? If they're being dismissed in the situation, they've got to really begin to have some self-awareness and take stock of how they're going to manage that because there's a difference between responding and reacting. Reacting is acting off of emotion without the benefit of that intellect being attached to it. But when you are actually in response mode, you start to take a moment to take that step back and you take that deep breath and take that pause and say, what do I want to see happen here? What can I control? What can I not control? How can I manage this particular situation? So it really becomes more about self-discipline in that space than it does about disciplining the other person. That is really profound because I think it's just intuitive for us to immediately push back and think, what is wrong with that other person? Why is this person not understanding it? But what I'm hearing from you is actually stopping and self-reflecting, looking at us and taking the viewpoint from how we are going to manage this and how we are going to function. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it may be something where you do feel that way. We're humans. We're going to feel this way. We're going to say to ourselves, man, what the heck's going on with them? Why would they act like this? I can't believe that you would think this, that, or the other. Or even if you share a child with this person, how can you not feel this way about our child? And I feel this way about our child. So all these things can swirl through your head. But ultimately, even if this person is wrong in the way that they're handling the situation, the only person that you can control is you. And we see that even when we have conversations sometimes where there's a miscommunication between ourselves and even the physicians that we have relationships with that are even managing care. And then ask yourself the question, if I go off at this moment, let's just call it what it is, because sometimes mama bear, papa bear jumps up, right? If I go off at this moment, what is going to be the end result of this? And will I be able to look back at this and say, I was happy with the way I managed it? It's not to say that you don't need to address it. It's not to say that you don't need to manage it. So I don't ever want to negate that and say, oh, just ignore everything because that's not the case. But it's about how we do that. 
your tone, the questions you ask. People will say things sometimes that are inappropriate. I've been known to question that. What makes you think that? What makes you feel that way? Help me to see where you are on that because I don't understand it. I feel like there's something here that we're missing. These are incredible, powerful words that really are going to give a lot of people a lot of help. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge this way. Now, can we briefly turn to situations where a child might be living in multiple households and one partner dismisses the practices held in the other household? How do we deal with that? And then also, too, if you can speak to how does a child deal with that? Absolutely. I think we saw a lot of that over the last year during the pandemic, because there were a lot of people that had shared custody situations and some people had different practices. And there were a lot of stories that came out in the news about that. And families struggled with people taking that more seriously than others, having different safety precautions and things of that nature. So the first thing I would say, hopefully, if you have good communication with the other person, then you'll be able to sit down and have these conversations. But you have to remember, you know, the dynamic of yourself and the other person. You know what buttons that push them and you know what buttons push you. So keep that in mind. And sometimes it pays to rehearse these conversations or to have your bullet points. But one of the key factors to get people to hear you is to help them see the benefit to themselves. That sounds so crazy, right? But the reality of it is when you're dealing with someone that you have a difficult time managing a conversation with, they've got to see it from that perspective because when they see that, the wall goes down and then you can have the remainder of the conversation. But you can't have a conversation with someone with their walls up and think that it's going to go anywhere. So you've got to be able to bring those walls down. How can this benefit this person by listening to you about the practices that you have in your home? It can be less work for them. It can be less stressful for them. If it's a food situation, for instance, can you maybe offer to send safe foods for your child for that weekend if they're with that person? And you may say, but that's going to put additional burden on me. Well, do you want the additional financial burden or do you want the additional stress burden of worrying about your child? So sometimes we have to pick our battles and you don't have to RSVP to every battle that you're invited to. That is such truth to it right there. Very powerful words. Thank you, Elisa. That was just, again, another dose of really powerful information. And we need to have these discussions because it's really tricky. You know, like you said, our mama bear and papa bear come out and we want to become protective and we just go into a whole different zone. But when we're trying to achieve this long-term goal, sometimes that aggressive behavior is really not going to work. It's not. And it becomes a power struggle. You know, when couples don't make it or sometimes in situations where perhaps grandparents are raising the children because of whatever the situation was and the parents maybe had visitation or something. And we saw a lot of that last year, too, with the pandemic situation. But you also see that in these situations as well, where the grandparents have had the education because now they've got custody of this child, which is the reverse of what we see in other situations. And they now have this information they really learned. And then you have a parent that is saying, yeah, but this is my kid. And this is what I want to do. And unfortunately, they may not be the ones that are going to the doctor's appointments or having all that information. If you have a good relationship or a good enough relationship with people, you may want to invite them to the doctor's appointments. You may want to give them some of the notes from some of those appointments and give them some information to empower them, right? So they don't feel like you're just preaching at them. Hey, I saw this thing about this particular health issue. What are your thoughts about it? I was wondering what your opinion is. See, now you've shifted that power back to them. 
So they get the information, they feel that they're empowered and that it's not you over them, it's you with them. Because that's really where these struggles come from, is that people think that we want power over as opposed to power with. And at the end of the day, it's my child, we should all be invested the same. And that's right. But investments look different for everyone. That is true. And and you're right. The end game is we all want to get there together with protecting this child and working with these children and raising them together. Right. Thank you. So now based on this conversation here, do you have any tips for how listeners can find support as they navigate these really rough waters? Do they look for a therapist or what type of information on the internet can they find that help them and find support on how to navigate these conversations? The only person, again, that they can control is themselves. And if they're struggling with another person, the first thing I would say, if you can get that person into some sort of therapy or counseling with you and the child, that's a helpful thing if you can actually have that happen. The other part of that is even if you can't get the other party to agree to that, there's nothing wrong with you getting the help. Because sometimes you have to learn how to have these conversations with people in such a way that they become meaningful and impactful instead of constantly being a fight. And you have to learn how to speak a different language because the language that you're speaking with this person, the two of you are butting heads and it's kind of like one person speaking English and someone speaking something else and expecting there to be an understanding. Empowering yourself with a therapist and being very honest and transparent and saying, listen, this is what happens. And this is what my behavior is. And I don't like what my behavior is in this situation. What are the tips? What are the things that I can do to have these conversations? If there's someone in the family on the other side that has some influence over that person who is more reasonably minded when it comes to healthcare issues, maybe that's a person who can serve as an intermediary for the two of you. That might be someone that's really helpful. That's worked in a lot of situations for people. Also, let's not forget, depending on the age of your child, you have to at some point begin to empower your child to also self-advocate. Not to say that at three years old, they have to do that. But if your child is 10 years old, you've got to be able to give them some of the tools to be able to have that conversation with you know, friends or even at school or wherever so that they know certain things. And it's not to say that they've got to buck up against the other parent. That's not what I'm saying. But they also will know the way to be able to navigate some of these conversations so their parent can see it as something that they're dealing with as opposed to something they're fighting you on. And worst case scenario, if it really gets to that point, There have been situations where cases have been dealt with in family court over these sorts of things. But when you do that, you need to have all of your documentation in place. And that includes your physicians, your therapists, and everything else so that you can have those conversations, not to take someone's rights of visitation or, you know, custody away, but to instead enhance the experience to keep the child safe. Extreme words of wisdom. These are really powerful pieces of information. And we, again, just really appreciate this data. Before we wrap up today, do you have anything you would like to share with listeners? I would say that just as getting the diagnosis can be sometimes shocking for you, it can be just as shocking for another person who might be ill-prepared to deal with certain things. They may just kind of have life on this forward-moving trajectory, not thinking about the left turn, the right turn, the potholes that could go along the way. And now a curveball has kind of hit their life also. So I would say that even if you don't agree with them, 
have some compassion in that space because you're also going through it. And at the end of the day, the goal is to keep your child safe. And I would say that it's much easier to work with people than to work against people. So to find ways to be able to do that, but always maintain your own self-awareness and your self-discipline, because you're going to have to look at you and what you did or didn't do and how you decided to navigate that situation later. Well, Lisa, this has just been a powerful session. I really appreciate your time. Fact, absolutely appreciate your time. And I can guarantee you our listeners are going to be very thrilled with today's podcast. You provided very powerful information that's very actionable and very relatable. I just want to thank you one more time for being with us today. I look forward to many of our future podcasts together. And thank you once again. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Before we say goodbye, I just want to say thank you one more time to Novartis for sponsoring Facts Roundtable podcast. Today's guest was not sponsored by Novartis or compensated in any way to participate in this specific podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.